HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Tara Selios, um, a grad of my alum. Yes. Our Institute of Boston. That's how I initially found your work. You know, sometimes the alumni network works. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, but it's, it's these photos, these, these amazing tableaus which you make. Uh, diptychs, triptychs. It's even more than that. You know, they're panels. Sometimes of six, yeah. So <laughs> many. I don't, what is that, a sex tuppet? I think at that point it's just called a polyptic after yeah. three. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm enamored by your work. I, I think oh, it's fantastic, you, you know, uh, referencing Dutch alcoves and all this, but it has this, this spirit and this light about it, even though it's very dark. dark morbid <laughs> work. But it isn't. Um, you know, with titles such as Impulses, Retribution, Seven, Seven Evil Thoughts, and Lessons of Impermanence, um, the subjects that you use are often based in the temporal, in food. And things that you know are, are eaten, are sated, are, are you know consumed, but enjoyed at the same time too, and not just you know deconstructed and destroyed. But let's start from the beginning because that was a big and wordy intro for you. <laughs> <laughs> Born and raised in North Shore of Massachusetts, yep. Danvers, Mass. Danvers, yeah, a lot the of viz. I feel like called. there's a lot of punk and stuff happening. There. Punk bands, and, uh, no? kind of, yeah. a little bit. <laughs> To a Greek family. Greek family. I'm only half Greek, but... Yeah. What was life like there? Was it attached to food? Was it attached to photography? Um, I mean, food is a big part of Greek culture, and, you know, I did a lot of those um, backyard 4th of July barbecues with the whole lamb on the spit and everything centered around food, so... Um, 
It's always been a big part of life in general, I think. It's it says, Opa, right? Opa. <laughs> Opa, yeah. yeah. I don't speak very much Greek, but um, shots of ouzo, things like that, you know, yeah. dancing in circles. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you still have some of those. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not that deep in the culture, especially now since I'm not around my family as much, but I remember and respect it. So. Yeah. So when did photography come into play? I know at a young age you, you you either picked up a camera or saw some imagery that really moved you. Yeah, I um I've always been into art and visual things, even if it wasn't, you know, actual painting or whatnot have always um struck me, sort of. So I think as I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, I just art seemed to be the only option. I don't know what else I'd do. If people people ask me what else would you do if you didn't do art and I say, I don't know, nothing. There's no other option. But um I started drawing and painting and then I remember being younger, even like ten or twelve and going to the art sections of bookstores and I started browsing the um photography section and there was just something about it this I looked at like surreal looking photography and it was just so cool to me when never seeing that before or being exposed to it. When you first see it, you're like, oh my God, this is crazy that it's of, for lack of a better term, it's of, of something real, but it can be whatever you want it to be. It's not, photography doesn't just have to be snapshots of people or documentary photography. You can make it whatever you want, especially now with all of the digital stuff and everything which yeah. i don't tinker with that much and as you see in, in in your photos too there there is so much construction you know and it isn't a snapshot in the sense that there's so much thought there's so much craft involved in making these images that it's it's not as simple as just walking by and taking a picture of a of a tree yeah no i there's too much thought almost i drive myself insane <laughs> So much planning, so much obsession over yeah. every little thing. So of these <laughs> surrealists, what photographers started piquing your interest? Um, the first, one of the first books that really, and I'm not a big fan of him now, but when I first came upon it, um, Gregory Crudson's work, just, you know, seeing the all these tableaus and like, totally wild stuff. I never thought photography could be that, so first coming on it, I thought it was awesome. So I just, I don't know, I liked how photography is kind of a moment still, even if it is constructed. So, Well, it's funny, walking you know, on the subway tracks, I see a lot of movie you know, posters. And Gregory Crudson is so cinematic. Yeah. You know, he, he, what, did Six Feet Under? I think a lot of people yeah, know Yeah, he his. did the covers for those. Yeah. yeah. So you look at these things, and like you said, they seem real, but they're constructed. They're these stories. They're these fictions. But there's something that kind of draws us to them, some common thread, but you're not right. exactly sure what it is. And it's because, I mean, a painting is a painting. It's not of something... Um, it's paint, you know, but a photograph is real in a sense. It's like not fake. Yeah. It's, you know, when I, I mean, like for my work, I liked 
you know, I do photography instead of painting. Like I photograph still lifes instead of painting them because I love how it has this kind of more disturbing or haunting quality since it is of real stuff, you know, so... It's real blood, real wine, real water. Everything's real. So I think it gives it that extra carnality that painting might not have necessarily. So let's, let's talk about school, about college, Art Institute of Boston. They were okay with you bringing blood into the school? <laughs> <laughs> I shot in my apartment. I didn't shoot at yeah. school. So let's go right into these sketches because you say you work a lot on planning these things out. And what is your first one? Impulses? No, Impulses is my most recent. Gotcha. First one was Lessons of Impermanence. So that was my first body of work. Lessons, and I'm flipping through the portfolio right now. Um, alcoves, you know, the, these Dutch alcoves, mm-hmm. um, what were they symbolic of? What did they mean then? And what do alcoves or these kind of still lives mean to you now? I mean, back then it was about, you know, how life is so temporary and transient. But a lot of it was also to show off the painter's skills. Um, That's why they're so beautiful and so wonderfully, precisely painted. Um, But it was also about... It was during a time in art where work became less about religion or it didn't have to be that much about religion. And so people started painting more of what was around them. Um, and aside from just still life, there were those genre scenes that were just of everyday life and things like that. So I kind of liked how it had that little bit of separation from the rest of art history. But, um, I mean, to me now, I kind of took that, I'm taking that old traditional way of painting and putting my own contemporary spin on it where it still is about the transient nature of life and um, carnality, and I like, you know, life and death and things like that. But um, It's funny to equate the idea of something that is temporal, temporary, transient, mm-hmm. with a process that, you know, you do with large-format photography, and we'll talk yeah. about that, too. That is so slow and methodical. So slow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm looking right now um, at an image of ice in a clear glass bowl, and it's kind of stained mm-hmm. with something red. Could be blood, could be wine. The tablecloth is, is kind of seafoam green, and it looks like it's leaked out onto there, uh, kind of, you know, moistened that. And, you know, it's a very plain background that has a shadow casting one way. What does that mean to you? I mean, it's. It, it's such a striking image. Obviously, it can be interpreted in so many different ways. Do you leave these open, loosely interpreted, or do you have a very specific reason why you make these images? Um, you mean the aesthetic of it, like how I... The overall idea, or the image itself, the single image? Um, I like to leave it pretty open-ended, enough to the point where people can have their own experience with it and put their own meaning on it because I mean I know when I'm looking at work any from contemporary work to old art you know I think it's like this for everyone you see it and you have your own personal um, reason why you like it or reason why you're attracted to it so I like to leave it a little open but everything's very specific when I plan it out for myself I mean I obsess over every little thing and um, 
the plain background and the kind of starkness of it kind of has to do with I want it to feel like a psychological space almost kind of like it's not in a room that's like identifiable it's kind of a mental space kind of I think it gives it that little bit of um, ambiguity and it makes the objects themselves stand out a little bit more and have a little bit more of a presence so So it's almost a place for contemplation right to to look at and try to figure out what's going on and the the rest of this series too um, you know that kind of moody lighting doesn't really change but the colors and you know the cast of ingredients that you use do uh fish in a bowl and that bowl is now this murky water the fish almost too big for the bowl tail sticking mm-hmm. out this, this this poultry i'm not even sure is it a goose it's it's this large yes. yeah with most of its oval kind of outside of the body there are eggs speckled about yeah. as well um and then these darker black maybe are they They're muscles, muscles yeah, yeah. Your shopping bill must be crazy. Oh, it's it's gotten <laughs> crazier, too. The more I do it, the more intense it gets. Yeah, and I'm looking at a table filled with lobster. You know, some some of them, culls and pistols, claws detached, yep. and, you know, uh, empty wine glasses, these, these beautiful chalices, a rabbit with an ear cut off, shown as a diptych. Mm-hmm. So white, fluffy like snow. I mean, just, it's... They're, you know, it's easy for me to describe these things because they have so much adjective to them already. Right. But why did you choose things like, you know, crabs, steaks, you know, overflowing wine as the reasons to represent these things? Um, I mean, referencing the Dutch still lives, but also, you know, kind of that idea of celebration and... Um, also referencing old altarpiece paintings. That's another huge influence for me. I love, I love those paintings so much, but there's always kind of that altar and with the, you know, the blood and the wine and I'm referencing religion in that way. So, um, in that school of painting. Oysters, but just mainly the shell. You must also have great parties when you put together shoots like this because someone has to devour these things, right? No. I mean, they've been sitting out for a little bit. They've been handled. They have blood on them. Put a disclaimer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, A fish, completely bare, deboned, scattered amongst the table. Where do these ideas come from? I mean, as a child, did you go out and eat and see these things? Or was it purely through art and not so much experience that you relate back to these food items? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think it's mostly through um, making work that I know these items. I mean, like, I like to go out. I love to go out to eat and drink probably too much. (laughs) But... um, you know, I have a concept in my head and these things are just kind of my raw materials. It doesn't, my work doesn't really have to do with me going out. Like the food I use and the wine I use and the object I use, those are my materials, my medium. And then everything else is kind of separate. But So I have an idea in my head and I think I get a concept and I kind of just 
plan it out and take notes and kind of work it out in my brain until it the image kind of just pops out. Sometimes it's hard to explain um, where the ideas come from specifically because a lot of times I feel like they just pour out of me and they just sometimes I'll just have a light bulb moment and that's that's it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much clarity though that you know it's it's not one of these flashbulb ideas. You know, yeah, yeah. Just go off and. Because you hold on to them in such a way, and they they almost seem like a struggle to make. I don't mean that the end product seemed oh no no know, e- extremely hard, which I know it was. Yeah, but it seems right when it's done. Yeah, but getting there is. Yeah, I mean the drawing and painting and planning out, taking notes, researching part. That's the easy part, and that's probably my favorite part. It's a lot of fun. Um, the shooting part feels really good when it's happening and when it's over and it succeeds <laughs> but sometimes doing it I just want to like I just want to cry sometimes it's sometimes it's not that bad but sometimes it's really rough the other day I did one I was just like stressed out and I was like I just want this to be over please <laughs> I was, like, ready to just take the bottle of wine I was using. Chug. That's that's (laughs) impermanent, so I'm done. Yeah. Throw down the mic. Well, we're going to take a quick little break, come back to find a little more about your seven evil thoughts. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, She's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here again with Tara Celios, and I'm about to hear about your seven evil thoughts. What what are they? Are they the traditional seven yeah, evil thoughts? The traditional um, biblical, religious seven evil thoughts, uh, seven deadly sins. La- label them off. What what are all those? Lust, gluttony, pride, vanity, wrath, and sloth. Is that six? No, that was... Yeah, no, that might be seven. We'll go back and we'll check that some other time. 
I'm Jewish. Greed. Yeah, greed. There Jewish. it is. Sorry. I was trying to because there are there, there's only six panels here, yet there are seven. Yeah, that was a um, there are six panels. That project was originally going to be a book project where they were handmade artist books, and the so it was going to be an accordion. So to fold it and have the images fit in the book, there had to be six. But then I decided to just print them big. <laughs> and so that's why there's six. People ask me that sometimes. And let's talk about big, too. How large? Because these are pretty monumental pieces. I like doing 50-40 if I can. Yeah. So per panel. Per panel. That's that's massive. That's tough for the six panel one because I don't think there's many walls that are big enough for that. But There's Fenway. Um, what? There's Fenway. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> On a billboard? Yeah. Yeah, that won't offend anybody, No, right? not at all. <laughs> They'll love it. But then go looking Sox. at these, you know, <laughs> definitely go <Sox. laughs> You know, these these are huge tableaus. And what you've done moving from like a single image or a diptych or, you know, a combination like that to actually spreading the image out amongst the sifter, six different panels. Was that just because it was a book project or was there another reason? No, I wanted to do, um, that was part of the idea. I wanted to do these big tabletop extremely alter alter feeling kind of pieces like really elaborate um inviting kind of still life so and let's talk about how still these things are because you said that you know some of the food may go a little bit to waste because it's out for so long and there's this large table half of it kind of covered with root vegetables the other half has protein one piece seemingly strung from the ceiling. How long does it take you to set a table? Uh, for this body of work, I did them all. Each one I did in one day, which was really brutal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'd start at 8 a.m. and go until the light faded. And all natural away. light. All natural light, yeah. yeah. Um, so when I, I mean, I always take the whole day to do it, even if it's a single image. I kind of just naturally... Um, adapt it to have like the most time to work on it so um, even if I'm doing just one image I can take you know a whole day to do it I obsess over every little <laughs> little drip and mark and stain if something isn't how I want it to be I'll go crazy and make it work until you well, know I mean that's large format photography too yes. you can you can see the imperfections that much more. oh yeah so everyone you know can take a beautiful photo with their iPhone, but how large are you working? How large is that glass? Right. It's, you know, 8 by 10 especially. Can't get away with anything with that. It's like, no, it has to all be perfect. <laughs> yeah. So. And thank God for digital photography. Otherwise, what was it? Spot checking you used to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see printed for a while. Um, spot toning. I didn't mind spot toning. I actually liked it. Yeah. I don't know why. Most people can't stand it, but... um. No, the I do digital C prints now, so I just uh, drum scan and um, I work on them a little bit, but just to make I C print them first. I do contact prints just so I see what they look like as a C print, and then um, I edit them to look like the C print. Retribution. So you've gone from these giant panel, you know, montages to something that almost looks kaleidoscopic you know <laughs> centralized in the image uh, and kind of spawning out from this nuclei mm -hmm. 
What am I looking at right now? What kind of fish? That's a bowl of eels. And Retribution is actually the um, companion portfolio to Seven Evil Thoughts. So Seven Evil Thoughts, each table um, illustrated each of the seven deadly sins. And so Retribution, each single image is um, articulating the um, punishments in hell for each of the seven deadly sins. Do you people, you know, like foodies come up to you and see some of these and be like, oh, I want one for my wall without <laughs> even knowing that it has these kind of very, you know, heavy weight to them? Um, I don't think it's more of a fine art kind of crowd that sees the work, not a food photography um, crowd. But I have had, you know, chefs and butchers that have seen it. And I mean, some of the butchers I go to, they say, what are you using this for? And so I give them a card and they check it out and they're like, oh, it's really cool. (laughs) But uh, no, most of the, you know, people that are interested in it are more art, art people. But well, let's talk about those butchers for a sec, because you're using, you know, all these animals, these meats, seafood, shellfish, oysters. There's, you know, fruit throughout. Mm -hmm. There's wine. You know, the people that you meet or that that refer to, butchers, fishmongers, yeah. etc. Do they have a part in the conceptualization of this? Like, are you thinking about that person outside the image as well and how they give you this thing? Or is it about the object itself? Oh, it's about the object. I mean, I go to so many different places, too. I kind of... And I've been doing it long enough where I have my spots where I know I can get certain things. Yeah. So, um, where are your spots? Who's your butcher? Who's your seafood? <laughs> I've been going to Savignors recently. They've been awesome. Yeah. Um, I go to the Halal Butchers on Blackstone Street in Boston by the North End. You know where that is? Yeah. Um, for the more like lamb's heads and fish and things like that. Um, 88 Asian markets. Love Super 88. Yeah. They've been pretty solid for a few years for me. They never let me down. <laughs> yeah. But when you purchase these things, and it looks like you do pretty massive orders, like how many eels did you get for that shot? Probably 10. And it's funny, that's actually from Chinatown too. And the market closed, so I'm like, oh, what do I do? I don't need eels for this work, yeah. so I'm good. <laughs> the new stuff I'm making. But um, they kind of don't like to talk to me or they don't even really acknowledge me. So I always have to go in there and f- ask someone else to ask for me. Yeah. That's happened a couple times. And um, you have to be like, I need 10 eels and don't cut the head off. Leave the head on. They're always like, no cut, no cut. And I'm like, no, don't cut it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always, um, I feel like a crazy person sometimes, but well, it's I all mean- part of it. <laughs> The construction of these things, too, it looks like it takes some skill of knowing the animal. How did you figure out how to manipulate these things? Did you take a cooking class? Did you, you know, watch a fishmonger? No, I um, actually, Lessons of Impermanence was my first body of work. And I feel like um, that was kind of, those were the first, that was the first time I've ever even done that. So a lot of that portfolio was just me figuring out my materials and that's why it's kind of i think a little more tame than the rest of them they're getting more and more intense but it's because i know how things behave and um 
a lot of it is even just learning the texture of the meat and different textures of different animal flesh and how to stack that all up against each other and, you know, play up different textures. And so a lot, it was just play. Yeah. That's all it was, is play. You go into the butcher and you have this idea of getting what, like a, a goat head or something of that yeah. sort. Have they introed you to other meats, other cuts? Same with the fishmongers that you had never seen before. And you're like, oh my God, that, that skin is beautiful. Or, <laughs> you know, the patina on that, and well, not patina, but you know, yeah. the, the texture of that meat is fantastic. Um, it's mostly just visual when it's all laid out. I'll, if I see something I've never worked with, I'm just kind of like, ooh, I want that. <laughs> I want to try that out. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been, you know, there's a lot to learn. It's not just, you know, paint or clay. or I mean, there's a lot to learn there too, but everything with flesh can be a little finicky and weird. But like with any sculptural item, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk culturally, too. I mean, you're going to Super 88, which is like the melting pot of Asian supermarkets. Yeah. Are you looking towards other cuisines, too, for your materials? Or you kind of standardize on what you know and what other people would know? Um, I mean, I don't think I even have any particular cuisine in mind. It's just kind of the object themselves and... um. I know the 88, like, a lot of Asian cuisine is a little more... They have different things than what, you know, um, we might... Com- like, general American cuisine might commonly have, but... Um, yeah, I think it's mostly just me searching for the material I have dead set out to <laughs> find. So now I'm looking at your sketches for works in progress, both mm-hmm. one and two. And there are these additions of actually manipulating some of the wares. Some of the glasses are broken. Um, even changing the frame a little. It mm-hmm. looks like there's one that kind of folds into itself, almost like opening up a box. And What, what are these new ideas and explorations? Are they in, in you know format? Are they in you know, some of the actual elements that you have in the image? Um, I think, I kind of think of all of my work as one big story, kind of like I'm writing a book. So every portfolio is a different chapter, a different progression from the previous. So um, this body of work is a lot about wine and self-indulgence. Even though the rest of my work is like that, it's kind of even more like that it's going to be called luxuria which is um self-indulgent lust that's what that means in latin so and that's for both uh, w- sketches 1 and 2 um the sketches 1 um came actually after sketches 2 sketches 2 i started planning out last summer um and it's going to be one huge skeletal tabletop um almost like a there was a you know large decadent still life set up and a nuclear bomb went off and now it's just skeletons yeah or it's been sitting there for a long time and everything rotted away to just be skeletons but it's a huge 
undertaking, and it's not something that's going to be done very quickly. I've started collecting bones and skulls, but I need to have a lot of them custom articulated. So, and that's a ridiculous amount of money. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that itself takes months when you order them. So, I needed to do something else. So, I've been planning this and drawing it out for a very long time, and then um, in April, I just felt there needed to be a precursor to this anyway so I kind of made it the opposite of what this concept was so this body of work luxury is going to be super lush just like dripping with wine I've gone through like 30 bottles of wine just you know this is going to be all skeletons and dry and stark and this is very like grapes and wine and everything's eating and so I hear that you've had 30 bottles of wine, so that's a good time. <laughs> Please tell me you at least take some of these materials and feed yourself well, that you have some luxuria within <laughs> yourself. Oh, I, not with my materials, no. But uh, if you smelled the house after some of them, you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't want me to eat anything that I use. But um, no, I love going out. I go out. <laughs> I like to go out for oysters and... Um, all kinds of stuff. I love wine, but I don't drink the wine that I use. So let's end this on a high note. <laughs> Best place in Boston to go out and eat and drink right now. Oh. We were just talking about Island Creek, so I want to say that. That's my favorite oyster place. That place always is awesome. Um, I love Toro, the South End. Um, yeah. That's pretty much where I ping back and forth to. Yeah. That's and cool. Toro's sister, Copa. Love that Same Mr. Owner, piece right? in that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those are my favorites. So, Well, this body of work, this story, I can't wait to see what it develops into and hopefully how it never finishes. Yeah, I hope it doesn't finish either. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just stunning, wonderful work. And, you know, even Thank though you're not a traditional food photographer, there's so much to be said about food and art and art history that this draws back on and propels forwards that is it, it's so great to see you know food being manipulated as a medium right. as well in it so thank you for bringing that oh, to light thank you and Tara Celios, check out her website it's t-a-r-a-s-e-l-l-i-o-s dot com and jump into the story it's just unfolding in the most beautiful of ways <laughs> thank you again for being oh, on the show thank you for having me You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.